You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And we're going to get to Chris Myers. We've got a lot of setup for it, but we're going to jump to our sponsors real quick because there's so much things to say, starting with Pole Clark. Because, you know, don't wait till April to get screwed. Call today and get Polaid. And uh, that is top-notch financial insight from people who care. Business uh, business management in terms of your financial business management, as well as uh, accounting, taxes, all that sort of stuff. Check them out, Polay Clark, P-O-L-A-Y-C-L-A-R-K.com. And they're very in tune with the changing rules and the changing tax laws and how it uh, affects entertainers and athletes in particular. And indeed, and speaking of all the changing rules and laws, Rob, our other sponsor, who also is a sponsor of the Osiris Network. And we'll get to that. But um, Kushko is a wonderful company because as medical and recreational cannabis continue to be legalized, which is a good thing, I believe this, but one of the key things is, is keeping it out of the reach of children. And that's only part of what makes Kushko a very important and valuable company. For a man that doesn't have children, you talk a lot about that. I, I do. I don't. I think that marijuana gets a bad rap, and I think that's where we're getting the worst stories are young people getting their hands on these edibles and, and overdosing, essentially. We didn't even know... Uh, you could overdose on marijuana before edibles, you know, because you can't really smoke yourself to an overdose. But, um, you know, Kushko is a company that provides packaging that um, meets and exceeds childproof regulations that are um, appropriately all around this industry. They also keep them snazzy. They have innovative boxes, tubes, bottles, all this kind of stuff. All the big dispensary companies use them. They also use vaping hardware and supplies. And we are so proud, so proud that someone on the leading edge of this industry is sponsoring our program and others on the Osiris Podcast Network. KSHB is what they're listed under the uh, stock exchange. Stock exchange, KSHB. Kushsupplyco.com slash podcast. They have offices in 10 states plus Canada and China. Kushsupplyco.com slash podcast. Just do us a favor. Just check them out. And, if, and where do they check them out? Say it one more time. Kushsupplyco.com slash podcast. And, you know, consider in- investing in this company. You know, as I said, our engineer, the great Spencer from Diamond Street Studios, already has. He, the first time he heard about this, he checked them out and invested. And there are other listeners of ours who did the same. So join before it's too late. Listeners, not of just Inside Out with Turner and Seth, but also the Osiris Network. Osiris. Yes, the Osiris Podcast Network. And this was a big week for us. Yesterday, big announcement. The announcement was yesterday. This episode will be released hopefully over the weekend, if Seth can hold his nose. I want to experiment with a weekend release. Ah, thank you for the coffee. Mm. But we are now partnered with Jambase. I am so excited. I'll tell you, it's a rite of passage for me at the beginning of every year, Seth, that you have... Uh, you know, you have your various holidays, and then you have New Year's Eve. And then there, there's two key jam base points. Mm-hmm. First, they review like 15 to 20 New Year's Eve shows of different bands. I love that about them. I love going over, seeing what all the different bands did. And they're always so well done, well written. And then, this one applies to you, Seth. Mm-hmm. What well, is I know you're going to talk about Scotty's Jam Cruise uh, experiences. You have to understand... He's so he's everywhere at the same time. It's and amazing. And Jam Cruise is, and, and God bless it, it's more of a party than a music thing, really. That's the reality, just for purposes of this conversation. It's more of a party that happens to have music. So it can be really difficult to go and really lock in on the music and not get lost in the party. But that's what Scotty does. And he gives detailed r- reports 
on what happens musically on Jam Cruise. But I don't understand how he is watching Torquoise and is able to know about the sit-in going on somewhere else and be there just at time for that. I mean, he... he, he I'll give you yeah. I'll give you a reason part. Because Scotty doesn't hold himself above the jam scene. A lot of times, these bigger outlets sometimes seem like they're above the scene, not part of it. And Scotty is always a part of it, always surveying with genuine interest the opinions of others, not from a superior position, but from... You're in the scene just like me. And I think that probably helps him in the Jam Cruise reports. He's getting feedback from people who are, who are excited to help him because they see him as an equal, not as, as some, somebody trying to elevate themselves. Yeah, and he also takes a lot of attention to detail, even when it comes down to through the, through the years that we've been doing the podcast. We're in our third year now, which is, I can't believe that. And uh, Scotty's taken the time when he's had interest in an in a episode before. First of all, we always have appreciated when Jambase has published or you know shared our, our interviews. And they've done so sometimes even when we've had other media partners. Right, that's true. Um, but, yeah, that's a very valid point. But he, um, before he just says, oh, cool, takes our notes and kind of just refurbishes it and puts it out there, he actually listens to the podcast and writes his own review. And uh, that's always been... That's always been a really nice touch. He was part of our Baker's Dozen episode, which we tweeted out and put out through our socials. We'll do it again. Look it up. I don't know. Do you remember the number? A uh, number lad in that. It was right around shortly after the Fishman episode. I mean, listen, if you have like a 20-hour drive or something, it's a great one to listen to. I do, it is <laughs> over two hours long, but I have met people who listen to the whole thing. It's, uh, it's, I, I say 20 hours because while you're listening to it, you're going to want to pause and then you're going to go listen to the, the, the element uh, to tracks from the show. And then, you know, if he talks about the split open and melt, you want to go listen to that and then you want to come back. And any rate, so Jambase partnership with Osiris, which brings the Jambase podcast to the Osiris network. But also if you go to Jambase, scroll down, they rec recreated their whole web, uh, website. And now if you scroll down to the bottom, there's an Osiris, not only Osiris feed, but information, but the Osiris feed, it has the most fresh current um, podcast. So all the Osiris podcasts, whenever one's released, it automatically populates to the top. And one thing I like that I'm told will happen that was never able to happen in our past partners is in future articles, when Scotty references something that's an artist who's been on one of these podcasts, maybe in the article, throw a link to it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, he's been doing that too. I noticed that. Yeah. He, um, and I just want to say about Relics, who is still a great magazine and, um, They've been giving us a lot of webcasts, which is great, which I think helps the bands and the fans. Lately in particular, they've really been, you know, bringing forth a lot of free webcasts, which is awesome. I love a lot of their exclusive content on the site. But I got to tell you, it's been frustrating from my perspective because I used to contribute to their news section. As a writer. As a writer. A fan writer. Uh, yep. Yeah, often for free, almost always for free. Well, I mean... You got paid, I think, $10 once. No. Well, in my articles and reviews, you get uh, yeah, maybe yeah. Tw 25 or 75 but that breaks down. When, you know, when they have you set up everything, it breaks down to something like $2 an hour. So I'm, I'm pretty much over that. And then the last one, last time I wrote one came with additional aggravation. So it's just, it's just a lot of aggravation for a $25 review. Um, and they just ignored the podcast. After all those years, they completely ignored this podcast. And that continued until we were a partner. Very little mention of this podcast after all the years that I helped support that. Not, not that it was a big deal, but it certainly was pretty loyal, and it certainly took a lot of effort and certainly helped them out in some way. It, it, it was odd. It, it, they, they, it almost seemed like they were, we were a competition, not, not something that, that to, to include in their camp. I wonder if it was maybe even, maybe it was 
not trying to play favoritism. Sure, they they vote. Uh, I I don't I don't disagree what you say. And the you've done a lot of work. It would be a nice um, a nice way to thank you for all the efforts you've done, or at least acknowledge them. But I wonder if also there's so many other podcasts from Andy Frasco to the Sound that you know outside of the Osiris podcast, they're interviewing the same subjects. So if we interview, uh, you know. Um, Someone like uh, Carl Denson and Carl's on like six other podcasts. Uh, were they gonna they gonna share all of those? If they share one, why haven't they shared the others? So I wonder if it's political in that sense. Well, perhaps, or maybe they just it, it all was about their own podcast. Which again, I love relics, but that podcast is not great. A lot of it is reading. It sounds like a bad book on tape. At, at the one of the ones I've listened to, the Jesse Jarno segments were great. The rest of it, it's just a lot of reading. I don't want to be read at. It's it, this is an intimate medium. When you read prescripted stuff, you kind of suspend the intimacy, in my opinion. And um, I think more of a conversational, more of a warm podcast. And that's what we have with Jambase. I'm very, very excited to have Jambase on our team now. What are you doing? Seth is up. up. Do we have an award? No, no. This, these are the notes you told me to read off of today. Oh, you have notes. Thank you, Rob, for the insightful information that you've shared with us today on right. our yes. podcast. We get it. We We're get really it. Okay, looking we forward it. to the Chris Myers interview coming up next. And... This was okay, re- we get it. So yes, the Chris Myers interview is coming up. This is great. He talks about working with Mike Keneally, who was a key part of the Zappa tour. He talks about some of the things Joel referenced in our interview. Um, Stop, forget about the about, about how Chris brought certain ideas about swinging and about different things to Umphreys. How Umphreys, some of the songs changed. No, not not that kind of swing. Okay. Those days like, are long. Rick and Robin were big fans. Now it makes sense. <laughs> Throw your keys in the jar and have at it. <laughs> <laughs> we did not get. Uh, and I, I am sorry to our listeners for this, but we did not get to talk about his shirt. Right. We got to point something out. Point. Well, they can't see where you're pointing. In most other cases, we would have pushed this interview, but we had already, this is like our third or fourth try to get Myers. And even though the time was crunched, that this was a rough day. Everything was topsy-turvy. And this is the interview that we had to cancel Corey, Corey from... Uh, Wolfpack, and then this one got truncated. But we're going to get with Chris again. We need to get with Joel again because um, he has the book on the music industry coming out. Um, Joel has a book in yes, the music industry? Yes, and I, I reached out to him. He didn't get back to me, but I'll reach out to him again. Hmm. I, I think he will follow up. He won't be like, little, he won't be like little Feet and not even respond to our, to our email. You know what? We just saw with Little Feet. Everybody was asking me. I've never had so many listeners come up to me to show and say, did you guys do an interview? All excited and be disappointed. That was the first time. And it turns out either you were connecting with an old publicist (laughs) or they just didn't respond at all, which is really disappointing and surprising. I mean, their publicist on their website might not have been the same. Who knows? Billy Payne Payne is on the Broke Down (laughs) podcast. Check that out. And the show was fun. Talk- also, that was kind of, you know, the orchestra, they um, set up, set, not with the orchestra, setting up at the Symphony Hall may have been a, a big day for them where they didn't have the time. Oh, you are so good with excuses. He still can answer the email and say that. We've gotten no's from people, and I appreciate when they when they write back and say I no. I actually appreciate that. Even though some of the no's seem odd and hurt, at least they respond. Yeah, but then the way Rob would do it is, thank you so much for responding. And how is your day? Good, huh? And like, you just keep like, you keep like, you, your, your thank yous are always like, and so do you think maybe you can give us a, a okay, I understand you can't do the interview, but do you maybe just the band during soundcheck can do an exclusive song just for the podcast? Okay, maybe not the whole band, you know, like, <laughs> you just keep going and going. You're like the Energizer Bunny. If you say so. 
So anyway, looking forward to this. Uh, we have a contest. Now. Oh, do we have a contest? We should, probably should have made mention of that at the beginning, but we can also make mention of it at the end and on social media. We'll What's our contest? Both, yeah, there'll be plenty of mentions. People will know about it. You Umphreys fans, you savvy, savvy, and sometimes annoyingly smart people, and that's a compliment. Tell us all the music in this episode. Tell us what song, venue, date. First person to email us at insideoutwtns at gmail.com gets a fat prize pack. <laughs> fat prize pack. Is that, would that be you in a, in a, in a refrigerator box? No, we're going to give them something worth something. Uh, something they'll want. Donated by the band, I should mention. Yes, and I'm pushing. You know, Matt and uh, Kevin said we'll throw something together. I'm, I'm pushing for... A little umph, but I don't want to. I don't want to say anything because it's up to them. They're they're really really good. To I us. can tell you that every time that they've given anything for us to give away, be it for this or any of the other organizations I've worked with, they've always been very generous. Yes, the more we deal with other bands, the more we appreciate Humphreys and McGee, right, Seth? That's right. <laughs> so let's throw it on over, and then we have. Uh, we'll tell you about in our next segment. We have an interview with Louis. So uh, Louis, who is, we'll you, tell you, you in a minute. You for now, want to wait? Okay. Here is Chris Myers. sitting with a man who's not just an amazing drummer he's a man that we will break format and lead the interview with an apology because the last time we talked to you sorry Rob it was not at our, we were not at our most professional <laughs> and we've joked about it on the show and you, you guys are all very cool about it but we wasted your time so I apologize for that uh, I don't think you're wasting anyone's time it's all good it was, it was fun but um, I, I wanted to um, go back to your early days this is Chris Myers of Humphreys McGee and of the band that always inspires a sound effect out of Seth Kick the cat. Meow. <laughs> yes. But back in the 90s, uh, you often talk about, you, you know, you were a drummer, you, you studied classical drumming, then you get into grunge, and that influences your drumming, uh, but then you decided to go study jazz at DePaul. Can you talk about that decision point? I think that, that time? at some point I just transitioned from 90s uh, grunge-dom to uh, getting a, you know, a, an education in jazz studies a little more. And I didn't really know that I wanted to yet until I'd say about sophomore year, but I got the scholarship to go to a nice college um, called Elmhurst College, which is in the suburbs of Chicago where I was born. And um, it was the only option I really had for scholarship, so I did it. And um, during that year, freshman year was a really, it was like a character building year for me um, in terms of 
I mean, everything. I was just trying to figure out my direction if I wanted to do this, you know, music for a living, like mm -hmm. professionally. And I think there's no other better way to learn than through great, you know, coaching and directing from from a good program that really kicks your butt, you know, and like basically puts you in the hot seat. And big band drumming, drummers note that that tends to be the hot seat. Precision-wise, energy-wise, or everything-wise? Everything-wise. Um, you just have to know how to be a leader and how to articulate your playing and your interpretation of, of the song through the fills and the, and the grooves. And you got to have great time, your feel. All of that has to be like at pro level. Um, and it's a little bit, you know, it's a little heart-wrenching. It's a little uh, cutthroat in some ways. People are a little brutally honest. And you just got to be able to suck it up and, and take that you know, as a positive towards a better thing, you know. So I was going through that process, and that's what changed to jazz, you know, changed me. And then I had some great player friends in that program who inspired me to listen to, uh, you know, like Frank Zappa or, you know, um, Chick Corea or any of those records in the jazz fusion realm. Who were some of those people that inspired you in that direction? There's a guy who you mentioned Kick the Cat. Um, well. The guitarist. <laughs> See? It's like a drinking game. Um, <laughs> yes, life is. <laughs> so basically, Chris Siebold, is, I owe a great gratitude to. He's a good friend, and uh, he's an amazing, probably one of the most brilliant musicians I know, and players. And he plays, I literally think that the level of playing he's doing now is almost what he was doing even back as a freshman in college. Oh, wow. He was one of those guys. And uh, Chris Siebold is from the suburbs like me. And of Chicago suburbs, and uh, you know, he taught me a lot about all those those artists that I I should check out, and and also you know even progressive rock too, like you know producers and players like Todd Rundgren, um, the you know the band um, uh, Yes, and uh, and uh, also uh, you know just King Crimson and all the classics of that era as well. So you know, I, I just. I learned a lot from players that were really serious, and then I learned a lot from my director, Doug Beach, who I also owe a great gratitude to. He just taught me to be really disciplined and, and really, you know, really focused and confident in how I play and, and to do it right. So, Not to take us off topic. Uh, yeah. But I, oh, that I, would be I, so I, unlike you. Uh, right. H have you ever considered an Umphreys McGee big band, like taking, the, taking it to the charts? I've, I've thought about, I mean, only just... You can't help but, you know, have visions about where you would want to take your music if, if say, in this particular scenario. Yeah, strings. Like, it's the, kind of the, the cliche rock thing where, like, all the old washed-up pop artists are like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do a whole string thing with the uh, chamber orchestra. Trey's from, not. Uh, careful. No, no, I don't mean him. I, Metallica. I, am I even referring? I didn't no, even know no, he no, did no, that. No, he, he did a different thing. He yeah. wrote symphonies. He's oh, talking about bands oh, that yeah. just like Metallica did. Yeah, I just think it's a very common thing. That kind of maybe came from, who knows, Beatles or I don't know. I have I'm not sure where, but uh, I'm just saying. Maybe Zappa. But what's interesting is maybe Big Band actually. is is an option that I don't think it's been done that that much. That's, or, that's really not that touched on upon. Yeah. And Big Band's kind of gone away in a lot of ways too. But sure. I love seeing a Big Band. I just saw Me one too. the other day with a. Uh, um, 
Francine, Francine Reed. Reed and uh, oh man, it, uh, it's killer. Yeah, it was, it was in a sm- in Eddie's attic, in a small venue. Like, but the horn parts, just people writing the. I mean, the ch- the idea, the process of the charts. I mean, as a drummer, yeah, you know, do you do do you take yeah, that on? Absolutely, yeah, I do. I, I think that that. I guess if there's anything from my education I learned in school, you gotta like take what you learn and assimilate it as something real and creative to for you for you, you know, because you know. It's all kind of strictly objective in some ways with the curriculum. Then you take it out in the real world and, you know, see what you do with it. Mm-hmm. And not to be too on topic, but back in the days kick, um, <laughs> of Kick the Cat, <laughs> what kind of rooms did you play? What were the crowds like? Was it all Chicago? Did you tour at all? We didn't tour a lot at all, really. We just were local, and it was local Chicagoans um, coming out and a lot of players, you know, so... It was a lot of uh, a mixture. It wasn't just fans from a particular culture or anything. It was more of a lot of musicians supporting each other and and some people who like that, you know, the jazz fusion idiom, you know. And so when I tell Humphreys fans that they have a hero that they don't even know about and that his name is Brian Abraham, can yeah. you explain what I mean by that? Wait, what was that again about Brian? That, that is a hero to Humphreys fans and most of them have no idea why. Interesting. Isn't he the one who told you that there was a job available? That's the one, yes. He's the guy who told me to audition for Humphreys in 2002 after I finished uh, my master's at DePaul. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. He's probably one of the weirdest people I know. And he's also a partner of mine and a publishing company. I haven't really launched yet uh, to people uh, publicly, uh, but I've been doing music for film and you know, Fantastic. TV and right, yeah, and video games, and we're doing all right. But uh, it's he's my partner, and he he composes all of these great parts, and and we work together. Well, that. that's really smart, though. I'm really happy to hear that. That's something we talk about with a lot of musicians: is the idea of publishing and how that's your paycheck in years to come when you're not touring. And you're right on it. Are you working with other musicians as well and kind of helping them guide them there? Um, I'm trying. No, you know, but that's funny. You mentioned that we were thinking about opening up our li- our particular. Uh, you know, uh, publishing company to other artists to be a part of it, but I think we're still in the building process of mm-hmm. of doing more, you know, successfully on our own first, so that they don't think we're like a joke, you know. And we're working on it, but yeah, yeah. Brian is, I owe a great deal to uh, to telling me about the the band in, in the first place, and then also he's helped me write and compose some things. Uh, you know, the night nurse, the day nurse. We've been co-composed, you know, and arranging right? things. Yeah. Okay. And he's helped me with other things, and um, I might work on some, on some intros once in a while to, you know, propose to the band, and he helps me with with even production and sound as hmm. well. The nurse songs get the ladies dancing, so I love the nurse songs. <laughs>
Um, so most Humphreys fans do know this, so I apologize, but our, yeah. our, our listeners go beyond that. But Mike Miro was the drummer then. He had decided to go into medical school. So you're joining a band and being ushered in with the man you're, by the man you're replacing, who, by the way, was very gracious about it, right? Yeah, of course. He was actually very open and friendly and you know, invited me to even come up and play on his drums. And We even hung out a couple times before I went and played like the first, first run of shows. We stayed in touch, and we were good friends. He always trusted me and was not resentful in any way, you know, with his path going, you know, going on at that time. It's so. part of the class of the Humphreys organization that the changes. Like, Adam Budney was the same way to Jeff Waffle. Kevin Browning, well, I guess Kevin has a cushier job now, but still, he was very <laughs> great. Yeah, he's got the cushiest job in rock and roll. What, what does he do? He's a, he, was, he was the sound caresser. Now yes. he's, the, uh, he's the social media and managing caresser. <laughs> Anyway, he's a key part of the of the Absolutely. Band. He's a father of 12 now. But what was that like playing a New Year's show where part of the show is with the previous drummer, part is with you? Did you play it all together? I don't even know on the stage. Isn't that true? You, he played part of the show, you played part of the show. Oh. Uh, Your first show. First show was... 16 years ago tomorrow. That's correct. Um, he... You've got to be kidding me. It's been 16 years? Yeah. yeah. Three, he's been a man three years, three times as long as I know. I don't look gone. it, so thanks. Where's time that. gone? This just <laughs> blows my mind. Anyway, go ahead. He, uh, he played the, the whole show. I just played one song. Like oh. A sneak peek. Uh, so I played Hurt Birdbath. Oops. For the first time. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So basically, that was uh, basically, uh, you know, I think that we, we totally hit it off right away anyway. And then he just let me come up and play that one song. And I played it, way, you know, like way too fast than when the band usually plays it. And. But they were fine with it. And then, of course, you know, people are having their reservations. I don't know if that's how it was or not, but what we, we carried on through. And then I, I played my first show in January with them. So. And the band embraced you and were even letting you influence them. When we interviewed Joel, he talked about how it was your idea to uh, play the end of Syncopated straight instead of swinging it. Are mm-hmm. there other examples that you can remember where you, you, you said, hey, let's try this, and the band went with it? I'm trying to think. Um, there were definitely a bunch. Her bird bass a little things. faster, maybe. <laughs> I've probably helped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably helped with some of the ideas rhythmically, the phrases that we created in the newer music. Well, sure. After anchor drops, you yeah. know, sections where I was like, "Hey, let's try this pattern—a repetitive, rhythmic thing that sounds a little progressive, but still you can still dance to it, kind of thing, but still interesting enough, you know, like maybe in um, Believe the Lie, I've helped with a couple things there." Um, uh, you know, I think that in Plunger, a lot of it was, you know, some of the stuff Jake and Joel were riffing with, but then I would help with some of the rhythms to organize it, uh, to make it a nice, nicely wrapped package, I guess. And, uh, yeah, there were things where we tried slowing down, speeding up the fuzz. We used to just do funky all the time and then we would do rock more rocking the next time I was, I think I suggested that. And then... Yeah. And you told them right away, don't expect me to show you the downbeat all of the time. Explain that to someone who doesn't play music. <laughs> it's probably my own self-righteousness. Uh, uh, basically, uh, just, you know, it's kind of a joke, a running joke even with the band. They're like, oh, are we doing the hide the one jam this time? You know, and I'm like, <laughs> I guess so. I don't, I don't know, are we? Hide the one jam. And uh, so we would basically just do long patterns and cyclical things. It, you know, intentionally and, and not always just be so 
cliche with the we're doing the build we're doing the build now we're gonna drop on the downbeat oh there it is you know like all right great but now let's try something different that's a little more uh, mysterious and eclectic and i think the eclecticism is what i embrace in our music more especially in the beginning of it the beginning stages and now now it's funny i'm trying to be more obvious and learn over time to be clear more clear with my ideas and but before i was more like yeah just naturally playing like in fusion music, they do that. Like it's like our jazz thing, where they don't want to always make it so obvious for the listener, and they want to challenge them a bit. So, can you briefly? Uh, you mentioned about the intro. Can you briefly talk about that? The intro, yeah. uh, intro ideas for the shows. Yeah, we, for the we, show itself. We, at some point, setting. You mean? Yeah. At some point, at some point in time, we decided to have our own original, uh, written and, and recorded uh, intros to walk out on, and then either f- we would fade some of the intros into us playing over it and then there were options where we would just do a complete cut and then we would be just us just makes things more interesting for the dynamic of the nature of the show um i've probably helped with a couple of those but most of it has been actually jay coming with a whole presented intro that's that sounds awesome and now i'm i'm in the process of working on some more uh now that i have a studio in my home for for the band or for the other work for the band and also for you know, for good night nurse. And oh, look, when your fans is here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've never had a fan ask for an autograph during an interview. He's a multitasker. <laughs> Hi, Internet. Hey, Brendan, has, has, um, have you ever been encouraged to play behind the beat by this guy? Yeah. <laughs> for a specific song. Hi, Internet. <laughs> Bye, Internet. Which song? Uh, it's like a hip-hop groove. A hip-hop groove. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes that's good. It just helps us remind all of everybody, and that includes any band in, in the universe. Like, excited bands play faster and start to speed up the phrases. And in punk rock, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in other things like funk and hip-hop, not so much. You want to keep it, you know, you know more leveled and, and has, a, has a sway to it. And it's better to keep that minimalistic sway with... Uh, you know, a groove that's steady and not speeding up. Like, hey, we gotta go, we gotta go. Next <laughs> section, next phrase. Here we go. You know, like it's, don't Jack Russell it's it. Not our, yeah, it's not a, it's not a, a race, right? Um, but you know, depending on the time and the place, we're, we're trying to work on that all the time because everyone plays their ass off in moments where they just you push it and you naturally go with that and that you can embrace that. It's great, but there are times also to just. You know, think of the big picture to just keep that, keep your your riffs and phrases, you know, grounded with a little more weightier. You know, is forty six and two the hardest cover for you to play? It's the hardest to play and to play and sing. I mean, to be honest, I could still do better with it, and I'm I'm being honest because I love that band so much that it's. I think it's it's pretty risky to even try to attempt such a thing because um, Maynard's one, arguably one of the greatest singers in hard rock, in my opinion, in terms of a lot of aspects. And Danny, of course, is like the modern-day Bonham, Neil Peart player, but bringing it to a, you know, like to the modern age. And, you know, Danny Carey. And, and basically... He's talking about Tool for anyone. Yeah. And, uh, you know... Here, I thought you were talking I, about Chicago. <laughs> personally, oh, I'm, I'm just kind of like thinking... Oh boy, I'm, I don't know what I'm trying to do here or why I'm, I'm even trying to attempt this, but it, I do it for the joy of the music and to share this 
exciting cover with with a culture that might not be as familiar with it. And they should because you know what, hard this tool is as heavy as hard as they are on their riffs have a, a nice psychedelic element to it that that's very kind of spiritual. You tap into it, and uh, I like doing that. But as far as playing it, yeah, it's probably the hardest to play and sing at the same time. And well, go ahead. Well, no, I just uh, I would like to talk more about playing and singing, but. Well, it's just the fact that one, some of the greatest things about Humphrey seem like the, the hardest things on you. Like, you, you, it's a workout for you every night. Well, I mean... You look like Nolan Ryan after a 15-inning drum- no-hitter after games. <laughs> the drumming, you know, as a drummer, you're expected to feel like you're working out more than the others. But um, I think that everyone still puts in the parts. You know, I, I think about the guitar players and the positions they have to be in and the, and the more melodic part of it. It's, that's difficult. You know, on the you know, uh, not just physically in terms of. I mean, it is sore, a sore situation with your wrists and fingers, but more thinking, thinking. It's hard on the brain to think about all those parts. It's like your mind's going through like shoots and ladders. You know. Right, but there was a period where you were having problems with that shoulder. Yeah, I remember there was one time I was I'm backstage still, with the Georgia Theater, and it was really bad. Yeah, I'm still dealing with that, but it's because I'm old now. But uh, <laughs> you just got to take care of yourself. You know. Uh- uh, at some point, you know, I decided to do that a lot more with my body, and that's why they got the massage room. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, maybe, but you know, <laughs> the I, I, I ice down after shows, and you know, I do what I got to do. In our interview yesterday with uh, Isaac from Talk, he mentioned as a drummer because he's got this great falsetto voice and likes to sing. We he mentioned that he he doesn't sing and talk as much because he wants to be able to give. 100% of his drumming, mm-hmm. and that he doesn't want to give 50, 50, 60, 40, etc. Um, how's that come into play with you as a drummer and, and being able to sing? Because yeah. you do that really well. And of course, you front the band usually uh, often, but when you're drumming and singing. Yeah, I feel the same way about it. Unfortunately, the reality is you, you still have to live a life and go around and, and you know, do, do some of the things that are off stage, and it requires you to speak. And I think that. Um, I'm open to it all and just try to just accept what's going on in the present time with day-to-day stuff. Because right now, for example, I'm, you know, I have four shows, big shows, and I'm singing. And so I got to take care of the voice. So I got to start thinking about all that. And Isaac's got the right idea. Um, Great vocalists sometimes don't speak to people for a while and then they save their voice. But um, at the same time, you know, I... I also want to share with whatever I, and the other duties I have to do in meeting people and stuff. You know, it's important. What kind of vocal mic are you using when on stage? I mean, it's probably just a regular. But you don't have anything particular. Seth's really into mics lately. Well, I, yeah. I benefit from it. I ain't no problem. Or fifty-eight. I mean, I mean, it's 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 something like that, but a different, like a higher level brand. Mm-hmm. I believe Telefunken is a lot of what we use, but I don't want to get in trouble no, here. No, no, I, th- I, th- I, I believe that's, that's one of the things I thought we it, use. I noticed the Telefunken. Uh, yeah. That, that, that's what I thought you were using. So in fact, what, what you're using looks that's like what I might... We want, we want a sponsorship. We do want a sponsorship. Telefunken, hello. Um, but, but on that note, uh, to finish that off, last night's drum solo was uh, particularly uh, interesting. I and we might have to pick up there. They need you. Uh, I think after this question... Yeah, does the drum solo, is that planned at all? Is that... Um, it, it, In particular, it, last night. So yeah, like last night. 20, yeah, well, last night I was nervous because when you're playing YYZ, you question as a drummer whether or not you should actually pay, pay homage to Neil. one of Rock's greatest drummers of all time and play somewhat the nature of what his solo was. Right. 
And then some people say, oh, how dare he for even doing that? Right. Or some people say, oh, how dare he for not for doing his own version of it? You know, like not doing the parts of the solo. So I, I was torn up until the moment of playing. And right. I was like, I'm just going to go for this. And so I tried to play a couple sections of the solo I grew up listening to on a show of hands record live. And he, of course, has this huge orchestral-esque drum setup with chimes and mallet instruments and stuff and he's playing all this shit and i'm like uh, i'm not doing that of course so i'm trying to interpret it you're not over the crowd spinning either <laughs> and so didn't he used to do that i don't know i don't think maybe i don't i don't think so but anyway so yeah i uh i tried to do some parts of that and then i fell into well this is kind of cool i might want to also pay homage to another drummer that I I kind of know a solo from and that was uh, Bill Bruford from King Crimson. I played a little bit of uh, from the Thra- Thrack record um, a- an introduction to a song that was pretty wicked. And um, So that's all in the moment. That wasn't before the I was in the, the moment decided to just do it in the, the moment. It's, and, and then I did like some ad-libbing in between of my own and then somehow find a way to end you know with a good flow and a, and a, and a a good point to get out of to get back to the song so that's what i was thinking and i was of course nervous all day about it and um normally you know i would just play what i'm feeling and and i usually do feel it but i also want to you know do the do the honor of trying to you know uh pay homage to the artist that actually did the song in the first place because it's about the nature of right. what you're doing it's right. not like oh i'm going to do my thing well you got to understand you got to play in you know with an intent to under- to respect the artist that actually wrote it in the first place and then you know the drummer as well and then do your your interpretation of it We should talk about the new album, um, and, 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 and in turn from that... Oh, are we not recording? Uh, no, we're recording. I just want to 
to make sure he's okay with Yeah, it. that's cool. Yeah, yeah that's okay. fine. You just give us the... the yeah, cool. yeah, no, the, the more the merrier. Let's... Well, like Dark Brush Jake and the Boondock Sessions mentioned that you had two large bass drums. What, what are some other examples of things you, you can do as a drummer in the studio that you've done that, that you would never be able to do live? Like, the, didn't you have two huge bass drums that you were pounding on that gives Dark Brush that... <clears throat> uh, not, not in the studio. I just, I always have been playing with one. But what I did do is in the... Percu- if you're talking about the percussion overdubs... We did a whole percussion day where I rented orchestral percussion and we rented some giant uh, option, like concert bass drum options. As, and there's also something in, you know, like, like in Brazilian music, there's a particular drum head you get on a giant mm-hmm. like concert bass drum that you suspend horizontally and you play it like a, called a surdu drum, I think. It's like it plays the surdu pattern of a, of a samba. That's a very thick... Uh, you know, pulsating, like, low-end, you know, uh, drum that we played for uh, overdubs on that. And, yeah, I mean, we did a lot of overdubs this time around on, on things in the new record, and, and I, I really put the time with Andy in together on a full couple days to just, you know, write range and play, you know, some great overdub stuff, you know, to add layers. So you're very comfortable, though, going into a uh, studio saying, you know what, when we record, this is our record, and it's our studio, and this is what it's going to sound like. When we do it live, it might not sound exactly the same. Right. I'm always trying to explain yeah. to your fans. You release every show. So why in the fuck would you go in the studio and replicate what you do live when all that stuff's available? You guys completely reinvented, and, and it's like these new snapshots of the songs that are distinct from the live show. It's got to be the intention. I mean, it's honestly... We we might might have thought at one time or another that oh yeah we should do this, <laughs> and then we forget that we thought why we wanted to do it and we just end up doing it and then move on to the next thing. Um, I mean we're just an ever evolving, you know, mechanism here, and I think that's kind of missing in music. Whether whether or not it's perfect or it sounds perfect, it, it's not, it's about the spirit of it, you know. And if you're able to pull it off enough with intention, we will decide to do maybe a live take. Uh, in in a recording environment, studio environment, or we will take a song and conceptualize it more and make it more production oriented. And but there's it, no pressure. After, that's just though. what we like. What's that? But there's no pressure after. They're like, okay, so now we just produced this and it sounds like this. We're not going to be able to replicate that on stage. Yeah, we do, we have conversations. I mean, every band does. I mean, it, there's a reason why certain bands don't do the exact version from the record. And quite honestly, I. <laughs> I feel like our fans probably would rather hear a big live imp- improvised version anyway. Yeah. So um, we do everything kind of with, a, with an intention at that present time. And then we, you know, we decide whether or not we want to keep it loose or live or make it tighter. Like I'm, I'm trying to play a little more closer to the, to the album versions these days just so I can you know reflect and reassess what what i'm doing because you can tend to forget and just take it way out and then forget where the hell you just came from i'd like to you know once in a while re-reference what we did and also i like to make sure for for the sake of tempo to keep the tempos right um so anyway hope that answers that question it does i'd love to uh i'd love to talk about some other musicians if you don't mind first of all jimmy chamberlain i am a, a shameless smashing pumpkins fan and you're really still good friends with him, right? I mean, we're friends, yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to say we are. <laughs> I definitely am excited to be in his presence. He's one of my, you know, he's a big influence on me. 
um, one of my favorite rock drummers. Uh, you know, I think that we have a good, you know, a good uh, relationship, good friendship once in a while. And uh, I'm grateful that he would even ever want to. I mean, guys like from that era, like, to me, mega rock stars to this day, and they'll always be that way. And even if they're not, you know, doing as much or re- reuniting or whatever, they're, they're still my favorites. And when people hold a gun to my head and say, what's the greatest rock and roll show you ever saw? It happened on the show once. Um, I talk about 1988 Frank Zappa tour. And while Scott Tunis was the band leader, Mike Keneally was the guy who made, I mean, that was the whole band. But Mike yeah. Keneally, just absolutely amazing. Absolutely. And now you've worked with him. Mm-hmm. You worked with him in Lehigh once. How did that come about? How did you find him? And- um, I'm trying to remember how we met. And, and thought, it's, I've thought about that. And I can't. <laughs> I don't think I can remember the exact moment where we met. It wasn't but, Jimmy, though. No. Um, you mean through him? Yeah. No, no I, don't like think, that. I don't even think they know each other. Oh, but, okay. but Mike, uh, I've always listened to. He was another one of those guys that Chris Siebold from, from Elmhurst College introduced me to, even at that time. And, uh, it Beer was, for Dolphins. Yeah, that, that album, or that band, and all their albums that came out. Uh, hats and you know boil that dust back where like around the 90s era and that stuff was like just blew my mind because it was taking it was to me the closest antithesis antithesis to the frank zappa uh, spirit of, of a rock setting but yet making it so far out there because you could tell mike really gets it in terms of the all the arrangements and all the intricacies of frank's music and his his whole you know his dry humor and whatnot and he didn't do it he did it his way but he was the closest authentic sound to to that and so i was blown away by that and then meeting him um and then starting to play side projects with him has been just just mind-blowing you know like i can't believe i got to this point where i'm playing with what's the most recent time you've played with him um i'd say it was about Oh, a year and a half, two years ago, when I was living in L.A., uh, I used to get with him, and we started a band that may still come out, um, and we're we're waiting on that to see what happens with it. It's it's going to involve members of, you know, previous lineups of of great bands, and can't really say much else. I, I don't know if it's happening or not. Um, we're working. We've we've recorded about four songs, and we're going to record a few more. And that's awesome. And so we still stay in touch. And Mike is so busy with Joe Satriani with uh, he's some of these G3 guitar tours and stuff. And he's just, it's so amazing. His universe is so huge with what he can do. He can do alternative stuff, too, that's really underground and, and, and bizarre and, and amazing. And then he can also do, you know, some of the best of the best guitar, uh, master, uh, masterful type, uh, you know, collaborations. And, he, and here's another thing. He'll do it and he'll play keys on it. Because he's one of those guys. He could play brilliantly on the keyboard. One of those guys can do anything. And Like David Hidalgo, playing an instrument. Yep. And he's What's this metal it's thing a true here? freak of nature. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's actually one of the nicest and coolest, most caring people I've, I've met too. So. Did you ever mention Scott Tunis? Sure. Absolutely. A lot of stories. I've, I've ran into Scott a couple times too. He's, he's not necessarily one to, to know or read or, or, or you know. Like, oh, I got this guy figured out. Like, he's just, he's also another, you know, brilliant musician that that I definitely respect and, and appreciate. And he's got a great sense of humor, too. He's also, you know, 
um, involved, I think, with California Honey Drops. Is that right? That's a band, but I don't know if he's involved with them. I maybe. thought maybe he was. I, don't I know. could I'm be sure. wrong. Outstanding, outstanding basis. But I thought that, did they come to an end? Do you know about that year? Really? Man, I, I don't know. I, I feel nervous heard. even bringing it up because I, I haven't followed them for about a year or two. But I know that they were really cool. And I'll back off of that. <laughs> I don't but, know. But you're living in Nashville. Yeah, Is and after LA, was, yeah, after L.A. it was Nashville. And then when moving there, I kind of changed my, my course of direction in my solo career. So now you're going country. <laughs> no, but two are some of the, what are some of the things you're doing in Nashville, other musicians in Nashville that you're working with? Honestly, I haven't worked with anybody. <laughs> Just getting off For, the ground. I have done some things, and I do briefly with Adrian Blue, who lives, who lives in Nashville. And, and, uh, but, you know, of course, That's he continues awesome. to tour doing his trio. And I was fortunate enough to be able to just sub for uh, Tobias, Ralph, and, and... Now, what kind of, how specific is the direction from Adrian Blue? Now, that's another, believe, me, believe it or not, another Zappa, Zappa alum, but, yeah. he's also, but he's also a David Bowie alum. He's also a Talking Heads alum. I didn't know he was a Bowie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's and he's, he is the, one of the signature voices and guitar sound of the 80s. And, is, and he lives in Nashville? Uh, yes. Yeah, sorry. I was just sp- spacing out there. We're, we're going to come out and do something in Nashville at some point. Hopefully we but, can tie that all in. Yeah. But, yeah. but well, finish on that I mean, thought. I, I just respect him dearly as, as one of my favorite artists of all time. And he's a great, as a living man, he's just a regular, humorous, you know, down-to-earth guy that's just so, has some eccentricism, eccentrics, eccentricities? Eccentrism. Eccentrism. Close enough I just made that up. Yeah, I like uh, it. He's, he's a little eccentric in some ways because he's a true modern artist. He thinks like an abstract modern artist, and he actually has painted canvas artworks that are quite impressive, pretty amazing. And he, he lives a life, man, and he, 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 uh, he still tours and plays the thing that he does, and it's, it's amazing. And, yeah, I've done some things with him, but then, you know, I've been meeting people around town and hoping someday I can actually, you know, what about be like considered Billy to do stuff. I don't know. Have you collaborated with Billy Martin in, in Nashville at all? Oh, is he in there? He's there too. Uh, oh, is that right? Yeah, I, believe I he is. wasn't. I didn't know that. Got to get the drummers together. I know there's a lot of players there. You know what's funny is Nashville is so mis- mysterious these days of who's there now, right? And it's or when because there. there's a great migration of players going there, and uh, I mean it's wild. It's diversifying, so it's not just country pop anymore. It's like it's pop, it's underground, it's alternative, it's jazz. All that's happening. A little more and more each year. I'd love and to see Nashville. Sturgill Simpson grab you, do some stuff with you. Well, I mean, if... <laughs> that would be sick. If Could the, be sick. If his drummer was all right. I'm just... I'm always respectful of all these artists, you know, and, and I don't... I'm not one who, to try to step on anyone's shoes. I swear I'm not. And oh, I'm, sure. I'm out there just seeing and, and just supporting them first and foremost. But I think what, Rob's just try, really trying to get the uh, lock-in to uh, Pete Shapiro to go ahead and bring Sturgill to sit in with you guys in yeah. collaboration at lock-in. I think that's where you're going. I'm always throwing out ideas because Shappy's a regular listener. He's, How you doing, Pete? He's been really supportive, you know. Uh, I, Jason I Bonham. Him. Yeah, him, yeah, that experience was incredible. I mean, I, I can't even explain it.
with a nice little cameo from the one and only Brendan Bayless. That was Chris Myers backstage in the band room. They let us that that day was such a cluster F. I don't really recall it being a cluster F. We didn't we didn't know where we we're going to do them. Everything was that happening was the late. Full no, that was uh, we. If you yes, rec- it was, dude. Hold that's on. That's why we only got thirty minutes with with Chris. Everything no, got crunched. That's not why. First of all, we did the interview with Jake, and then Chris wasn't ready. Then then when Chris was ready, he had sound check coming up. We also had Jeff Coffin, so we went. We went. That's a cluster F. You just described. <laughs> It was a mess. Everything got changed and jumbled around. I'm not complaining. We made it happen. It's just that that's why we have a shorter interview with Chris. I think that we wanted a good hour with him, and he was comfortable with a half hour. And he's ready to do it again. He uh, was excited. There's some other topics, and um, he and I have been in touch. So we we will do it again. And this time, um, my mother wasn't in the hospital, and I was actually able to, you know, be normal in the interview. You love excuses. You're like an excuse junkie. Shalom. But that was great. And one of the things we did, we had downtime where they were rehearsing, I think, and we grabbed Louie. You grabbed him by the Louie. Because Aaron Mayette, or is it Mayette? I'm not even sure because everybody calls him Louie. Yeah, but even if you knew, you'd say it wrong. So and this go, is, with, go with your gut. And this is key. And this is what we ragged on Seth about because in the Joel interview, Joel was starting to tell the story about how Louie went from becoming a fan to becoming an, a, a, a treasured employee of Humphreys McGee, and Seth drunkenly <laughs> interrupted him with a crass joke. Did I end up leaving that in? Do you remember? I think I ended up leaving it in to teach you a lesson or something. Oh, and, yeah, a lesson. Totally, you totally taught me a lesson. I was schooled. Yes. Speaking good. of schooled. You're getting better, though. You're, you've come a long way. Yeah, yeah, I will tell you, though, that there was a post the other day from a listener that said they want more Seth. Oh, really? Yeah. Well... Send in more of those, and you'll get all the Seth you want, people. Because uh, Rob's quitting. <laughs> no, and I've gotten so I've gotten uh, attacked uh, uh, lately on the internet by some of these music fans. So, so that's cool. Maybe we should go Seth heavy a little. People getting sick of me? Then that's okay. I can back off. So with Louis, though, Louis <laughs> is completely the protege student of Humphreys McGee. You uh, protege? You did I say protege? Yeah, protege. Oh, sorry. Well, listen. You know that's why you're here, Rob, <laughs> to tell me when I make. Intellectual words incorrectly, whereas you say the name of the musicians incorrectly to their face. You know, like Robert Walter, you're like, so Barbara Walters. And I'm like, that's not Barbara. No, anyway. No. You like to exaggerate it because you, you know, to compensate for your endless stammering saying nothing. But yes, this is really cool because Louis talks about the, the old days and Midwest peeps who are music supporting organization. Loose. Yeah, I didn't know about them. That yeah. was neat. And we have some music selected in their honor. And He's um, going to share his story with us here, and it's a great story. And for, for those that are listening that have any interest of in ever getting in the music industry, or, and you know what, scratch that, any interest in getting in any industry, listen to his story. You know You're right. That is, a lot of it is information you could take in any industry. But what I was building to, Seth, though, is that you have the work exchange team. Had. And, and, and Sure, but still, come on, you created something from that people utilize to get, who are now in the music industry all across the country. And so this dovetails into that. That's why it was funny. You, t- you take all offense, but that's why it's funny that you chose that moment to, to have one of your stupid blurt out, try to be funny when you're not, try to be quick-witted when you're not kind of moments but this is an example of a different way of doing it but folks if you are interested work exchange team 
We can still promote work exchange. Yeah, you can for the next two years until my percentage is not there anymore. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> for more information on that, Forbes magazine was doing a, a full spread on the uh, transition of work exchange team from Shimon Presents to his ex-wife. Any rate, though. Yeah, be sure if you talk to Amy, be sure to tell, him, tell her Rob sent you. Rob Turner. Do yeah, not yeah, tell her do Seth sent you. <laughs> uh, no, check it I out. I saw though. Amy the other day. You she can, gave me, you could, you she gave me a nice big exchange. hug. Good. It was a really nice moment. She was having a blast at Mike Gordon. We're going to have a Mike Gordon uh, checking in coming up. But let's let's turn it over to Louis. Louis, Louis. How did you get that name, Louie? Let's start there. All right. So it starts off when uh, I was in grade school. Um, we lived right next to the high school that I, the high school and grade in middle school that I went to. Uh, we lived literally next, like our yard butted up to the the field, the practice field of the football field and the in the and the baseball field. And my dad taught at the high school. So when I was what, seventh grade, I think, he moved jobs, luckily, and didn't teach at the school anymore. And he, he worked for the MEA, Michigan Education Association, continued to work with education, but didn't work at the school anymore, but had taught there for 18 years. Well, students knew Louis Miette, and they were running around the baseball field taking practice, and they're like, Louie, they didn't we know go you're Louis, in there. Louis. We, Louie, we know you're in there. Come out, come out wherever you are. Louie, and these guys are like every lap, they're like yelling, <laughs> Louie, and they're trying to, they're just taunting my dad. And one of them goes, Hey, look, it's little Louie. And my buddies thought that was hilarious, and I thought that was super annoying, and I totally hated it. And they teased me with it when I was younger, and it was like, relentlessly and then I got into high school and the coaches who had also taught with my dad would call me little Louie and thought that was funny like a joking thing like <laughs> little Louie like like I played sports and stuff and like they were they so then it kind of caught on so I go to college and I'm like I'm gonna be Aaron I'm stepping away from this Louie thing I'm gonna just turn into Aaron and be and 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 start my college career as Aaron and uh, and I ended up I ended up getting into the thir- third day of orientation third, week. Okay. Third day of orientation week, and uh, and I and I remember talking to somebody and saying, "You know what's your name? Aaron, Aaron." And, the, and they're trying to say it back to me in a loud situation. And they're Eric, what? And I'm like, "It's Louie." And they're like, "Louie!" And I was like, "All right, that's it. That's, Keep up. 
Yeah, it's interesting that sometimes a name really sticks with you. I mean, you it, can't you can't get around it. You know what I mean? I, it, now I it, now I'm endeared to it. Now it's the name that I would prefer to be called, and I prefer my friends call me Louie, and I introduce introduce myself as Louie a lot because that is just who I feel myself personified as. But uh, he, but yeah, that's it. All kind of reminds so me of Louis Tiant. Let's go, go ahead. Let's go back a little bit here and um, talk about how you first got with Humphreys McGee. Rob, so, can you hear? I'm just having a hard time hearing you, Seth. That's all. But when did you first hear Humphreys McGee? 2001. Do you remember where? Mm, yep. That was at, uh, it was, first. the first show that I was ever at was Big Woo Family Reunion, and it was Memorial Day weekend, 2001, Big Woo Family Reunion. Wow, so that's the last Memorial Day before the summer camp thing started, right? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I think 2002 was the first summer camp. And you became a tour head pretty quickly, right? So, yeah, I, 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 a friend of mine was going on a trip, and they, two of them were going from college. that I, I knew them both, and, and we had done fish shows together and traveled a lot, and one of them backed out. And I, and I was like, all right, well, I don't have anything else to do this summer. It's 2001. I'll, I'll go see Umphreys McGee, I I'll guess. I'll get in the like, van. Whatever. And uh, and yeah, we went to West Coast and and Big Woo was family reunion was like my chance to kind of see what I was going to get and then I did oh, West really? Coast. Oh really? So you committed to that before even yeah. sight unseen? Yes, yeah, sight unseen. Damn. Um, so then yeah, I, I mean I got to see Dexter Lake and High Sierra in 2001 and, and about five or six of the shows in between and and uh, that was it. I, I was a, I was a fan. I was definitely stuck with it ever since. But you weren't just a fan. You were you were in it. You were you were pushing it on the web. And is that the story you were telling me, Rob? Yeah. So at, and then after uh, after that point in time, like 2004, 2005, um, I I started between a couple of friends of mine. We started Midwest Peeps. Midwest Peeps was a. I've read or, about them on the board. Okay. <laughs> Midwest Peeps was an organization that was mainly to promote. Uh, the music that our friends knew about in their separate cities and different places um, because we wanted to have something to do after shows and like kind of connect and I realized that like there's no there, like the scene in the Midwest is very spread out it's not connected to one another so it's hard for like this this band that might be killing it and like and like Muncie they, they, nobody knows about them and and you know uh, Topeka uh, yeah yeah so it's it's it was about flying the flag of the Midwest and being uh, uh, being representative that was one of the things we'd say represent the Midwest representative of the Midwest because um, because Midwest peeps are the are the best people we know like their transports from the left coast and the west coast like every time i go and go to either side i end up meeting people from the midwest who ended up come going there and they, you know they're the feel like like uh i, I i'm proud to represent that space nice. and so uh and so that was that was always like in in a in a format that was meant to be representing the midwest and the all of the music and all the things that were happening in the midwest but really, we were just Umphreys fans, and we just wanted everybody to hear about Umphreys and wanted to <laughs> fucking tell them what's up. So that was, uh, that was kind of the whole – that was the reason behind it all. Do you was, like Kellogg's cereal? Check out Umphreys McGee. Yeah, yes, yeah, you got it. You got it. Um, so, then, uh, so then that Midwest peeps got us, uh, you know, recognized by a few guys and stuff, and then we got to, I got the chance to start um, – volunteering for U Storm. U Storm was kind of my first in ever as far as 
being connected to the band or working directly for them or whatever was work was volunteering for U Storm events and then um, at summer camp. Well, what is U Storm? U Storm was United So Together. Our 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 reach multiplies, and it was a nonprofit organization that was um, essentially to raise money for music, uh, like music awareness and children's music programs in the Chicago area. Very cool. So, so uh, between volunteering for those events and helping with helping with U Storm stuff, then at summer camp they had a booth. And I turned that booth into half a Midwest Peeps booth and half a U-Storm booth. And we had a chance to kind of uh, spread the Midwest Peeps. We were making merch and stickers and gear and stuff. So we were selling that and, and donating part of that money back. And like also kind of had a space that was a little bit more... Um, you know, like a little bit more legit. Like it, it was like it, we weren't just we weren't just a couple fans in the crowd. Now I'm now I got this. I got a booth, and we're at summer camp, and uh, and I think that was kind of the the synthesis to where I in, t- in 2012 I had I graduated college. I was I am I have a mechanical engineering degree. I was working for a company, and I was really Born. unhappy. <laughs> I was just extremely unhappy, and I. Um, and I made the decision that I did, was not gonna. I was not gonna work in this environment anymore. I didn't know what it was gonna happen. I was just like, "This is not." I, I, my boss said to me, "Why are you the most unhappy person? Or why are you the most negative person here?" And I was like, "If you think I'm the most negative person here, I'm obviously in the wrong place in life because I don't think that any of my people, any of my friends that know me, think of me that way." So I. I was like, that's it. All right. I'm in the wrong place. I'm in the wrong place. So, two, so here's my two weeks. And uh, that Tuesday, I decided to do that. On Thursday, Vince Humphrey's manager called me and was like, so we got like a spot maybe for like a merch guy to maybe come out and like, we don't know yet. Like, we don't know if it'll work or like, if it could do, like, because at that time there was the bus was full. So it was like, driving gonna be driving show to show and but if you want to do it like like there's there's there if you want to do it there's like a job for you was it specifically for the um lives initially you well um lives i mean part of volunteering through you storm i had volunteered to like give out um lives at like new year's and stuff which by the way those are live recordings of the band they used to be sold on cd yeah so when i when i came into the merch well actually in the same timing when <laughs> When um, um, our tour manager changed, uh, Don had Don, Don, Don Richards, Don, Don yeah. Richards left as tour manager, and Bobby Haight started. At that point in time, UM Lives also went away, and then at the same time, I started merch. It, it was like a synthesis between um, a person that was coming in and like like didn't have. Uh, you know, like, like that's a lot more to do from a tour manager's perspective, and it's like, like, and so that was kind of like, oh, and also the technology changed. Like, it no longer was required to have the, the big CD racks. Uh, yeah, yeah, you didn't, you didn't need to carry that stuff around because now it's the media's coming out and like smaller packages. Like, do we want to do jump drives? How do we want to do it? And now, I mean, now if you have the app, you can listen to it hours later after the show. So that was really yeah. the. It's only old fucks like me that want the CDs, which yeah, I, I got a stack of them, and but, you can have them. You can get on. You no. you can you can I like order the them. And the label. I get it too. I still have all my. Was U-M-I. this whoa, 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 whoa. time yet? Oh, go ahead, Seth. First. So, did Vince know that you were no longer with your job? No. I mean, that, that the synchronicity in all this stuff is amazing. I love that yeah. because. I, so what we're what we're hitting on here is a very big point that I think people don't realize. 
opportunity will always come your way. You have to be open to it. So in this situation, here you are, you took a leap of faith saying, I don't, I know I don't need to be here in this job, which opened up the universe to give you opportunity, which then Boom, you took. It's a message, attitude. It's not just being qualified. I'm sure you would be a great mechanical engineer, but you weren't, that wasn't your thing. You, your attitude, your positivity was in the scene, and I guarantee you that's why Vince called you. You're, you're sharp, and you have a good attitude, and you love the music. Now, headphones and snow cones. Was that happening in 2012? When did that start? Because no. that's when I first met you. You were okay. selling me headphones okay. and snow cones, right. I think. So that. I think that came along in maybe like 2014. Was it really that late? Yeah, I want to say 2013, 14. I definitely, it definitely wasn't, definitely wasn't there in in 20. It definitely wasn't there in 2012 and 2013. uh, I don't remember. I don't remember doing that yet. So what were you doing initially? Um, Initially, as far as as far as I was, then I was the merch. I was the merch salesperson. So now I'm on the road selling merch, and it's at every show. Previously, there would, there would be a seller that sometimes there'd be people that knew the band. Sometimes you have to hire a seller from the venue. Sometimes, right. sometimes I found out that there's certain venues where you can't sell, and they you have to use their people. So, um, Beacon, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> one of them. Um, I guess. And those, I I learned and felt the the same way that I felt about the band and about Midwest Peeps and everything else that. I wanted to stand there at Merch and represent them. And if right. somebody wanted to walk up and learn something about the music, okay, here you go. Like I'll tell Beautiful. you, give you everything you want to know about it, and and engage you when you come up to the merch table and be and be a be a, a conduit to the band. I felt I felt honored to be in that place, and so I was selling merch every day and being and 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 uh, and the 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 uptick in sales was apparent initially. But the amazing thing is that it's continued to go up as, as uh, that there hasn't really, that we've had successful, successful years over and over and over again. And I think it's because of just the, like the, it, it now is mirroring the band where we've had, because there's someone that's at the merch table that knows the band and now can represent it and be there every night that it's like kind of closed the loop a little bit with fans that I feel now like super connected to and I some like I don't know their names and it's like but I just I know you can come by so many times and I and so that was that was a big part of it for me was 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 uh, that connection like and it's more important with Umphreys and other bands because there's so much to them it can be hard to grasp all that's going on the song titles can be hard to identify absolutely at times, you know what I mean sure. so to have someone to guide you through definitely sure definitely helps yep so, uh, but your at, role expanded at the same time that I was I was I was doing merchandise. Um, there the was way, all these boxes. There's and all things. Over there. There. Yes, exactly, Seth. Um, yeah, when the truck unpacks, merch is halfway through the truck, and here's all this lighting equipment that's being brought. And into. with this guy just sitting there with puffy hair, just going, "Well, what? I mean." Someone's got to. I I have to go to the board. <laughs> no one, don't expect at, me to. At lift that this. time, at that time, Bob Stone, who was our um, monitor engineer, Bob was the one that was putting up the lighting rig along with hands every day that that we have and the local hands, the local hands, yeah. yes, and uh, and so and so it was like a natural. It was just a natural thing for me to say, you know, hey, can I give you a hand? And I also had experience in my previous job with a lot of electricity like uh, the job that i worked in was in, in, induction heating uh you can look that one up i'm not going to get into it but <laughs> induction heating uh uses crazy electricity and 
and I understood it intuitively. So then loading and lighting and, and running a distro and putting it all together, that was pretty, that was pretty intuitive for me. So I kind of was able to jump in with Bob. I didn't know anything about lighting fixtures. I didn't know anything about uh, lighting design or, or anything about that part of it, but I could, I could grasp the, the first part, the, the hardwired part. So, um, the mechanical part, putting them up on the trusses and like understanding kind of, okay, I can see how this thing works. I'll do this. But no one's coming up to you saying, hey, let me pay you to do this. You're like, hey, this, there's something that needs to be done here. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead how and to do, do it. it. Yeah. Exactly. And that's a big, another, another big piece, to, to a big takeaway on that. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't, yeah. Well, there, there, the, there was no, the expectation was please come and sell merch every day. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be there every day. And I'm, I'm gonna load in lights and I'll. What, what else do we need to do? Like, I'll, yes, it was. There, there was no expectation there, um, and and then um, as time has progressed, uh, um, I, I had. One could say the lights got heavier. The lights got heavier. Um, I I sought out um, other people to help me out at merch because it was things were getting more. Uh, it was getting more complicated. Uh, Steve Britz or Britches, he he helped me for in the beginning. We drove together, and that was like we were the team that were doing it. Once we were able to have a second bus where the crew was riding on a bus separately from the band, then we were able to be on the bus together. Uh, and then his role changed a little bit, and I was kind of I needed to kind of reach out into the into the scene into fans to find some people to help with merch because. Again, I wanted someone to represent. I didn't want to. I didn't want to have a venue seller every night. Not someone I wanted, with the knowledge and passion for the band. That understood. Did you give him a test? A, a written test? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the test. The test would usually. The te- yeah. The, there How was many not- split bridges were there in <laughs> 2009? <laughs> How many standalone? Um, pass it. Uh, and uh, Sam, so then that's how Sam Sutton had come along and and excelled at it, and um, so then. Uh, he gave me the opportunity to then possibly be a bigger part of the lighting crew because now there was a person that I felt comfortable with in management as well as me and everybody felt comfortable enough with to like a, like have that role happen because I had voiced it a few times like hey I I'd been interested in that and it was like well who's going to do merch like sorry bud that's your deal and it was it was all again another synchronistic thing that came together and and uh, but here you're manifesting. You're literally manifesting a job. Yeah. And not only like creating a job, <clears throat> but your intent to show the band right, bringing in someone else. You know, like All okay, right. I, I I took merch and I created something with merch. Now I need to find someone that can take that and move it forward. That's that's not admirable. all about you. No, no, it's it's it's, it's a. It's a giant working machine, and and the the longer I've been around the band, I, I the the more I've appreciated the the mechanics of the of the machine because it's it it it's it's amazing to 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 make a uh, comparison to the job that I left to working here. Like it was, there, there isn't there isn't anybody that doesn't do everything they can to do their best job possible. There isn't anybody that isn't trying to really do their best. There's and no half-assing. There's no half-assing, and I was in an environment where like it was like like skating around your responsibilities and not really even trying to you know like figuring out how to not do your job kind of thing. And it yeah. was like I I I just it's it's I, and that I think goes anywhere in the music industry. It's it's rare to find people in in any venue or. Any 
anywhere in any of this any any part of this uh, industry that I've worked in and the people that I've run into it, it mostly is people that are really go getters and 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 are willing to go above and beyond and are gonna and are gonna take everything to to a finish line and not try to not try to, to half ass it like you said. So And so um, now what is your what's your final role? So right yeah, so now I am final but current role. I, I'm the I'm the lighting crew chief. So my role is to uh, load in all the lighting every day, um, keep everything operating if things break or whatever. I mean, that's what I'm there for is to keep the lights working and then um, and support Jefferson and any, you know, any other any other forms of like, like, like he designs the lighting rig. That is his his job, obviously, is designing of it and, and, and figuring out like how it's going to look and what our what our whole. Uh, you know, for for instance, we're at New Year's and they, we have a completely different look. That's up. We have some circle trusses. I uh, I used again my engineering background um, to to now uh, use a program called Vectorworks. That's uh, it's for lighting design and you and I and I'm I'm doing the CAD design for the for the lighting rig. So so it's it, so now I'm I'm essentially advancing and, and working with the companies that we rent our lighting from and, and uh, working with the venues to, to figure out rigging and, and but those uh, company those companies don't call you Louie, they call you Victor now, right? So you can get your Victor Vector? <laughs> no, I still I'm still Louie. Still Louie to all of them. Is that where you want to go with it? You want to go more lighting, or you want to go? Where, I've where? always, I've always liked lighting. I mean, I when I was seeing fish in '99 and 2000, I would count the fixtures and I'd tell my friends, "Here's, here's, there's, there's 64 up there tonight." Oh, I, I had no idea what they were gonna do, or like they were so magical to me because I didn't even understand how they could make any of it work, and so it was always like a. It was always something that I, I would focus on, and uh, and then uh, one of the, one of the jokes I have with the guys now is I used to think that Humphreys would go into different rooms and like change up the rig every night, <laughs> like like oh I saw like last night it's stacked on some cases in the back, and then like tonight there's some there's some lights that are downstage on the edges, and then like and then like the other night like they didn't even have anything in the air. Yeah, that's because. There's no truss at that venue, or we didn't have room to put the right, floor right. package in, or <laughs> there's a design and there's a way to do it, and if you can put it in that way every night, that is yeah. ideal. But like we do our best to to like to make every room as as as, as good as possible. So so yeah, all those times that that we're having to redesign now, I'm like I'm like oh hey man, we're really switching up for the fans yeah. tonight, guys. <laughs> like but having all, having all that knowledge though of these rooms and and what have you. Are you finding other uh, bands coming to you now saying, "Hey, can we get some advice about uh, how or asking you to build that out for them?" Um, I I have not had that experience of people coming to me asking for advice specifically. It is something that I've that I've actually thought like that's kind of maybe my next move with some things is we have I meet a lot of opening bands. I'm now doing lighting for them because sometimes they don't bring an LD with them. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm the guy that's there to be able to, to do it. Humphreys allows you to double dip. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we and have to you know what? Honestly, Seth, I I I have rarely allowed anybody to give me anything for that. Wow. I yeah. do that because it's our rig and the house guy doesn't know. You know, like we've already taken over the place, right, so right. it's easier for me to operate it, and it gives me some experience. And once again, like I just want everybody to have a great time, and like, 
and and a lot of these you know bands that are coming in like you know they're they they're trying to make it happen too so yeah, yeah. i'm in a good spot it's all good i sure i'll do lights for you i i've not to I would. I, it's more of like that's the reason You're that I do. You're also creating it. opportunity. You yeah, know? yeah. So but I have had smart. the. I've had the. Good. I've had the thought, and I do. I would like to potentially look into uh, using that VectorWorks uh, um, um, knowledge to help out again some of the younger guys. Coming and if that's up you that. and you're listening and you would like to reach out, you can hit them up <laughs> at insideoutwtns at gmail And you had Luke Stafford in the house the other night too. Yeah, Luke. Um, it was like a lighting crew supergroup in there. It way Luke came and uh, and helped us get get programmed into the circles basically he's done a lot of the work with the bis those are the those are the led fixtures that kind of make a bunch of different shapes and they do different circles and move a lot more um we have those on tour we have six of them this reg we have 12 luke's the one that's that's done a lot of the work to create those shapes those are basically a blank slate and you got to come up with whatever you want on them and with the mode that we're running them in. So it takes some time to get it all figured out and then figure out how to mesh that in with all of the different looks that Jefferson's created over the years of kind of putting everything together. So then Luke was here to, again, uh, he's, a, he's a, a master programmer. I mean, that is what his role is, and that's why we hired him to come in. And then he was here to essentially align the circles and get things, get things more uh, dialed in f- with, with the, the looks that we had going. So, um, so yeah, now we, we're kind of hitting the stride here on the third night and looking forward to you know, throwing out all the tricks and, and really ripping it. And we just got a waffle yeah. wave. Let's end with a yes. And with a waffle comment, How, how's it been working with that? Um, I, uh, I, 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 I the more that I learn about I, the more that I learn about programming and operating lighting, the every time I go out and and watch him operate, I am blown away. I'm I am I can stand there and honestly say like I now know his show file. I can look and I can understand exactly what he's doing. I'm like one of the few. What? How the fuck did you think to go from there to this to that? Like, whoa! Like like it's it it he he's he's an he he's excellent at 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 making the moment happen and reading the improv. Yes, yes. reading their eyes and the yep. feel and yep yep. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, your story's great, and I think it's the one that a lot of people can learn from. And thank you, Rob, for making that happen. Yeah, you're going to inspire folks. Well, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for letting me sit down and tell it. I appreciate that, too, guys.
And that was Louis. Louis, Louis. Giving us his time. Louis uh, actually is a source of some personal milestones. And oh, really? Yeah, but that, that's, I can't talk about that on the show. You have to, have to mm. be with me in person for that. But he's a really good guy. Always been welcoming to me backstage, you know, because I don't know all of these Midwest peeps, but I can always grab, grab Louis and waffle and huddle in a corner. Jolly guy, hard worker, dedicated, loyal fan. Just Humphreys McGee is such an impressive organization. Everybody's on team. It's very much a team concept, and uh, they they run just like a Swiss Swiss watch. And not sarcastic. I'm being. I like, thought you were going to say Swiss Army like knife. A Swiss watch. Is there a difference between the watch and the and the knife? That's One's a, sharper than the other. That's I mean. a podcast episode in itself, Seth. Why would you bring that up? Come on, we well, don't have that kind of time. What What do we have we're time to for? Keep, we're trying to keep these short. Remember? Okay, so this is our closing then. Yes, and we have a wonderful. Version. Oh. Plunger. Dot, 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 dot. You weren't supposed to say the name of the they song. Say that they'll know the song. They have to say where the venue. They're, 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 we're playing the full song. They're going to know the title. Jesus. This is just such a killer version of the song. I got to hear this live. Oh, you were there? So now you're giving them clues? I was not there, but I did get to hear it live. Okay. And it's awesome. All right. So here it is. Folks, uh, Mike Gordon, uh, three-fifths of Mike Gordon checking in, coming right at you. Next.